0: When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news! You found Premier Retirement Radio with Jeff Fogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio, Premier Retirement with Jeff Bogan. And now here's Jeff Bogan and Jeff Shay.
1: Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogel, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions But the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Vogel, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and
2: Wealth Management. Hey, Jeff, how's the weekend treating you? So far, so good. I still have this uh, voice issue or something. (laughs) I don't know what I got living down there in my throat, but it uh, makes me talk kind of funny, and I'm still powering through but uh, getting the work done I don't feel sick and feel like uh, things are just fine but I may not sound I may not sound like it but here we go (laughs) that's okay well okay we'll just
1: keep you an hour or so this weekend Jeff I understand that the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed for the first time in record territory what does that mean for the average investor and can you give us some information about what's driving these markets
2: I, you know, I don't know. You know, fundamentals really haven't been around, and I—I I don't mind the momentum. I don't mind uh, seeing the trends. I don't mind the fact that there's more buyers than sellers. I do get a little curious, you know, at the fact that more of the buyers are what we call tourist investors who don't really know anything. They just buy because they're told on the news to buy. Uh, When we've got uh, 95% of insider action, which means CEOs and, you know, company owners are actually selling right now and have been for, you know, months. I talked about the half a billion dollars that Mark Zuckerberg sold with uh, Meta, uh, you know, almost, you know, a little over, a little over under $100 million just from the CEO of Apple selling You know, smart money seems like they're selling and buying bonds, kind of going into protective mode. But, you know, we have certain things that are happening that are in the market that don't make a lot of sense and certainly are not backed by fundamentals. The price earnings ratio is so far out of whack and we're overpaying for these stocks are so overbought, like at unprecedented levels, which usually means, you know, we're ready for a really, really big crash or retracement we've got tons of bank problems happening coming up probably starting in march you know stemming from largely from well higher interest rates that have to be uh, repriced by banks uh, people that are paying 2 and 3% are going to have to be refinanced at uh, 4 or 5 or 6 and, you know, with a lot of things that happen, especially in the real estate market, they're going to have to be repriced, probably won't get the loans that they want. And there might be some big defaults there. A lot of companies that are barely hanging on at lower interest rates are going to have the interest rates jacked up, basically variable loans we're talking about. And the banks are going to have to you know restructure their debt. And I think there's going to be a huge problem coming in March, not to mention, you know, the Fed monies that they have in the, the repo fund, which is basically runs about two point five trillion dollars in uh, Fed monies that allow banks to, uh, you know, carry their debts overnight. Basically, it's uh, it's the overnight rate, kind of the Fed funds rate that banks use. I just uh, read a stat that said that they're down to under a trillion. They're actually like at $800 billion, which, and they look to go very shortly down to about the six uh, $600 billion, which means it's about a fourth of what they normally carry. And that's kind of the emergency money. How's a banks going to raise emergency money for, you know, loan defaults, uh, credit swaps, the, the different things that they have to do now, just within the next couple of months, I think there's a lot of trouble on the horizon. So, you know, banks, I think some of the banks like Bank of America, who just a few days ago said, Apple's going to uh, $250, buy Apple. And so everybody goes, oh, let's go buy Apple. Well, you know, once you know, you know, Bank of America and everybody else is just selling Apple, they're not buying it to $250, they are selling it to the suckers. And so this market has been very manipulated by um, just extra liquidity. Also, something that was uh, kept stealth until recently—it's come to light that a lot of the bank bailout money last year was in the in the, to, the tune of trillions of dollars to help uh, some of the regional banks when the SBB the Silicon Valley Bank, went out of business, and it was it was at Renaissance or some um, bank that all, that followed them, and a couple of others got in trouble, and some that we didn't hear about—you know—couldn't support their deposit requirements and either went out of business, had to merge, or you know, got in in some uh, trouble. So the Feds bailed out most of the big banks so they wouldn't go into trouble. A lot of the Regional banks are still struggling and, and may end up you know failing especially with this uh, debt crisis credit crisis that's just really near on the horizon apparently about, I think the number was 2.4 trillion. I probably should double check before I start spouting numbers out, but it was uh, trillions in kind of a stealth QE program. So, which is totally counterproductive to the whole idea that we're tightening monetary supply. So there's not as much money out there. You know, we don't want to have too much liquidity because, you know, that just creates inflation. It goes into the market. I mean, look what happened last year. So, you know, all these big banks, turns out were buying the, the four or five big power stocks in the Magnificent Seven, the Apples, the Microsofts, Googles, Meta, And basically, you know, just cranking up their own profits with government funded money as a bailout and kind of spurred on the growth of the indexes as we as we know them mostly generated, you know, as of November, I've mentioned this before, you know, 10% of the stocks are just basically those magnificent seven contributed to virtually all of the gains in the S&P 500, 500 stocks, yet seven of them are making all the gains because of the way they cap weight them and because of the uh, way that the. Banks got this uh, free stealth funding to continue to buy and and basically market make these stocks, which drove the stocks up even when earnings on the S&P 500 last year grew at less than one percent total from start to year to finish the year. The market went up like 30. That's that's the biggest disconnect in my mind. That is not fundamentally driven. That is basically um, market manipulation at its best. You know, Powell comes in on the tail end of that in November and says, "Oh, we're going to pause interest rates uh, because inflation looks like it's coming down." Well, inflation's coming down, but it's still in the four percent range on top of the 20 plus percent that we've had that hasn't gone backwards. It's still uh, causing problems rippling through the economy. And there's always a delay. And when these Fed tightening programs go into play and when the uh, actual recession hits, because most people are able to spend savings. And then if the government prints a little bit of money and sticks it to the banks and lets them kind of fake the market out and buy their own stock back or buy the magnificent seven stocks and drive them up so it looks like the economy's great. Well, I'll just take you back to last Friday when we had a really big rally a week ago. The market had a really good upside. I think the, the Dow was up uh, over a few hundred points. I think it was 400 and S&P up 40 or 50. Everything was up, up, up and only 15% of the stocks, of all stocks, went down. 15% went up, 85% of stocks went down in what looks like a bull market. There is a big disconnect of reality, the economy, and what the market's doing. Yet at the same time, if you jump in on those big stocks and you're uh, hanging with the, the the banks that are manipulate the market, uh, you're fine. But here's the deal. You know, there's a lot of smart money that's going short the market. And what they do is they bid the stocks up to where the short sellers have to cover at a loss and they lose money, so they're squeezing money out of short sellers, they're squeezing money out of, out of what we call the tourist investors who say, oh man, I'm, I'm scared to miss out, I gotta jump in, I gotta jump in. And they jump in and they drive the market up, but there could be a sell-off any day. You know, when the public doesn't believe there's going to be a recession or even a soft landing because they've been told that over and over again, that's usually right before big bad things happen. It's usually opposite what the general consensus is on almost every case. When the uh, consensus is almost unanimous one way, it's an inflection point the opposite way. So there's a lot of things that are happening in the market that don't make a lot of sense or certainly not supported by any fundamentals. I mean, they're buying stocks today as if interest rates are back down to two or three, the inflation rates down to two. Some how magically, that's just going to happen, and the Fed's going to drop interest rates seven or eight times next uh, year without causing inflation. Well, that can't happen. They're basically back to square one as, as soon as they start lowering the interest rates. We get inflation, then we have to raise interest rates again and tighten again. So, we're looking at a, a, a no win situation for the Fed. They promised lower interest rates, but if they do, inflation goes rampant again. If they don't, the market sells off because they've already expected uh, these things to happen. And then, when you get the bank problems of uh, trying to reprice, you know, mortgages to reprice debt, especially commercial real estate. That's that's going to be a big one coming up. But there's just a, a credit crisis where banks can't lend. They don't have enough money. The only thing that they're doing right now is, you know, market making the, the big power stocks. There's going to be a time when they have to sell that off in order to cover their own losses in the uh, lending world. And that's probably going to start happening in March. I'm not sure, you know, I want to try to split the difference and jump in the market because I think there might be a little time for a rally between, you know, here the mid mid to end of January where it's starting to go up again, which is, like i said manipulation and maybe we'll get a really good market during february and it's going to make everybody feel like they're stupid for not getting in and they're going to jump in just at the the wrong time i had a vision in my mind kind of like whack-a-mole you know you know all these big market makers have these big mallets and they can whack us on the head at any time they choose and we're just the moles that we want to get in the game so we come out of our holes so we can play and we come out and we play for a while that we don't get whacked so we think oh it's safe so we'll keep coming out oh well maybe we'll stay out maybe we'll get all in and just as we do here comes the big mouse, they whack us on the head and they put us back in our hole and we're at a loss and we're, we're hurting for a long time. So we don't wanna be the moles coming out of the hole to uh, play the game when we're not the ones with the hammer. Somebody else is and they can whack us at any time. So you know, as a safe money guy, as a protect your asset guy, I'm really scared of what's happening. I think it's uh, just like the dot-coms that were overbought, that were oversold, I mean they were oversold to us. They were overpromoted. AI is being overpromoted. AI is being promoted, yet no company is actually spending money on R&D. They're finally starting to, but last year they didn't spend any money. Shoot, they weren't making any money. And now the market assumes that all these companies are gonna make 30 or 40% growth in their earnings to justify the 30% growth last year in the stock market. Well, what does that leave for this coming year? Another 30%? You know, you'd have to have you know earnings like go up somewhere to 50% or double this year, which I just don't see it can happen. We're looking at you know the the breadth of the market where most stocks are going down and less stocks are going up insiders, the company owners, board members, and insiders that know about their own companies are selling, not buying. That's just a recipe for impending disaster and doom. And I hate to be a doom and gloom guy. By the way, I'm the most optimist guy there is, but I also see a certain sense of reality, and I've been through this a few times, when the market gets the best of the public by not telling the truth, you know, like, you know, somebody wants to get out of a bunch of Apple stocks. So they just go out and say, oh, we think Apple stocks undervalued. It should be worth $250. Everybody goes, oh my gosh, it's only 190. Let's buy it. Well, shoot, not too long it goes to 125. That's probably when you should have bought it. And 195, that sounds like a great time to sell and take some profits, especially if we're going to have some sort of a correction period or even a roller coaster ride in this market. Based on a few things, one is the Fed's in a rock and hard place. They're in a uh, they're screwed either way position. They can't solve the problem without QE, and that doesn't solve the problem. It takes us back to square one with inflation. They have to save face by lowering interest rates, which makes you know bonds look better. Which is why people like uh, Jeff Gunlack and Pimco and all these other big bond guys are saying, "Man, we're just happy to be in bonds, making interest." And you know, when the market sells off, we're going to double our money on the bond prices and we're going to be the only winners here this year so You know, most of the smart money, the big traders, the people that uh, know how to brace for a recession and problems are doing so, but they're not the guys that they're putting on the news because it's not a great story. It's not a, oh my gosh, the S&P just set a new record. The Dow just set a new record. We're at all-time highs, and this is the time to buy. This is the time to buy. Man, I don't know. Chasing the market's scary. Yeah, I wish I would have had a crystal ball and knew the Fed was going to give banks money to buy the Magnificent Seven a year ago, and it was going to make the market go up 30%. Sure, with a crystal ball, I would have gotten in the market. We'd have been all in. But on the other side of the coin is if they would have kept tightening and companies were starting to, uh, you know, go out, more banks were starting to go out of business because, you know, they can't lend at higher interest and companies are going bankrupt. By the way, at about a 100% increase in bankruptcy rate from last year so there's more companies that just aren't making it through this time period that looks like a great economy which really isn't but you know the, the market still seems to defy that and uh, it still makes it look like things are better than they are a lot of that i think is driven politically because the people in power the white house uh, still has a little bit of leverage on the fed to say certain things and to do certain things that uh, make their prospects or their opportunity to get reelected a little higher and i think they're doing what they can to do that so You know, you can either bet on the uh, powers that be to uh, fake the market out and be on that fake ride, or, you know, you can take a little uh, more of a defensive approach, say, you know what, I can't afford to lose the million or two that I've saved for retirement or a big chunk of it, or even if it's a few hundred thousand or a hundred million, whatever it is. If you can't afford to lose a big chunk of that, then it might be nice to just take a nice 5% yield on bonds and maybe even make 5 or 10% on uh, growth of those bonds as a sell-off takes place and uh, uh, scared money starts running to bonds and, and bidding them up, which also makes the interest rates go down, by the way. But if interest rates go down a point or two, but you can make 10 or 12 on the bond prices... It's a great time to sell those bonds at a uh, gain when the market's uh, bottomed out. Nobody wants to buy. And that's the time we want to get back in and invest in the market on this next leg up. This last leg up last year, I think that's just a, it's kind of a one of those what we call a bear market rally. The, the trends were still down until just recently. They only broke. The two-year trend just barely broke up just just in the last, you know, a few weeks or months. So it, it hasn't been like we haven't been in a downtrend for a while. We were just in a recovery mode for a bit, and the recovery mode was not supported by any fundamental drivers. And... You know, I'm still a little too old school to forget fundamentals at all, even though the market seems to have done that. But there is a fundamental that says not losing money is better than uh, making a lot of money than losing a lot of money. So you know, slow and steady wins the race. I think we uh, need to be the tortoise here in light of all the confusing information that we're getting. And again, follow the smart money, the billionaires that are uh, taking money off the table. Warren Buffett, what, $200 billion so far. He's raised in cash. That's a lot of money to not be in the market when the market's doing so well. Well, Why isn't he doing it? He's smart money. He's gonna buy everything cheaper later. He's probably gonna buy some of these credit problems that discount and make a boatload of money like he did in 07 when he had a lot of cash, or 08 when the banking crisis happened. I mean, there's a lot of smart money that are preparing for the same things that uh, we've seen before. And again, they've got more real life experience when they've been doing this 50, 60, 70 years than uh, you and I do who, or well, not you and I, but a lot of the listeners who really have just done 401k investing, they finally got some money. The last decade was great. They made money on Nvidia and all these great high flyer stocks. and. You know, they don't understand how to brace for these recessions or how to lose half of their money. They haven't seen it yet. Most of them haven't seen it during a time when uh, they're not getting a paycheck. This might be the first time. So if you haven't if you haven't been retired for more than 10 years, you don't know what it's like to be retired living, uh, you know, kind of having to depend on that uh, investment portfolio to be your, your nest egg, your safe money or your you know, fallback position if something bad happens. But then losing half of that—that's going to put you uh, in a in a in a very big predicament. If you've got a paycheck paying you 150000 dollars, and you can live on a hundred, and you've got you know a million or two in the market uh, in your 401k, and it goes down half, and you're still going to work ten years, you'll guess what? You'll probably make it back, and you probably have a paycheck to live on in the meantime, especially having job security. So it's a totally different story if you're getting close to retirement. And that's typically the the uh, market that we serve the best is, uh, do we want to chase the market? Do we want to be crazy? Are we having so much fear of missing out that we get mad because our friends on the golf course are telling us, you know, they made 20% of their portfolio last year and you only made five because you were in bonds? You know, short-term stuff that didn't have any risk. Well, you can say, well, I didn't have any risk and that person did and the market uh, resets. Uh, market sell-offs, the last couple of them, have, when the market's been stretched like it is this time, could be huge, 50% or better. So you might have made 30 or 40% of your money last year, which only made up the difference for what you lost the year before. So now you're back to even. You can still lose a half again. I think we're in a bad position to be you know, risking a significant portion of your money. And that's why I like principal protected products. I like short term uh, stuff that has a more predictable return, very limited risk or no risk at this time when there's so many uncertainties. And all of it's going to kind of come to a head probably by June of this year. And I think it's going to start as early as March.
1: We're talking with Jeff Vulcan of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and Mesa. And we've been discussing uh, the Dow Jones and the SP 500 setting back to back records. It's obvious from this conversation that Jeff really, really does study this stuff and knows the things that will affect uh, your investments in your retirement portfolio. So if you'd like to talk to Jeff about your individual situation, what you should do with your money to put you on a path towards a successful retirement, we're offering this Retirement Roadmap, which is a five point retirement review. That it includes an income plan, investments to support the income plan, also a tax plan, health care plan, and an estate plan. And we're offering it to our listeners this week. No cost, no obligation whatsoever. It's not going to cost you a dime. To get yours, call 520-780-9059. 520 Now, you can make that call right now. You can make it this weekend if you'd like. Leave your information there, your name, your phone number. Shelly will give you a call back on Monday and set you up with an appointment with Jeff to answer your questions. Again, it is a one-on-one conversation with no cost, no obligation whatsoever. 520 You can also request your retirement roadmap online at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, you mentioned earlier Jeff Gunlap, who is the uh, billionaire investor and CEO of Double Line Capital. He says there's a 75% likelihood of an impending recession and potential widespread layoffs. What do you make of his prognostication?
2: Well, He's been right for uh, many years on a lot of things. He's not a doom and gloomer all the time. He is uh, really, he's kind of a bond guy, I will say. But, you know, they're listening to him because there's a lot of uh, money flowing into bonds right now. And there's reasons for that. You know, I used to quote uh, Scott Minard, who was uh, the president of Guggenheim, was a big private investor, the biggest private equity fund out there. And, and uh, he died, unfortunately, in his 50s. And so I can't, I can't follow him. But he was uh, he was always right on the money. Another guy that wasn't too far off was, uh, you know, from him was Jeff Gunlack, so I've been reading him a little bit more often lately. But ten key insights to support what he's talking about. And you know, he's estimating a seventy five percent chance of recession. So, you know, I'll go with that. And and I, I don't want to bet my clients money that there's a 25, 10 or twenty-five percent chance it can make ten or twenty percent again this year. If it was more like 75 or 80, we take a fairly a significant position, maybe with some of our risk money or Wall Street money into into the market. But when it's the opposite, you got a 75% chance of a recession, which means a sell-off and the market is so stretched out that we could see, you know, 30 to 50% easily on that. The last two big ones were 50. And I think we're at that point where we are so overvalued that, that, does, that that's not out of range. That'll get us just below fair market value and it'll be actually a good time to reenter the market. But for now... He's expressing a very bearish outlook. Uh, he knows that uh, you know the Fed is really like between a rock and a hard place. Here's his ten um, uh, reasons for doing so, and I I pulled the article up uh, on screen because I can't remember you know verbatim. But basically, S P S returned to a double top after two years. That that is either one of two things. One is. It's going to hit resistance, which it kind of is still at right now. It did uh, clear the two-year high from uh, two years ago, but it's never an attractive entry point for stock ownership because we've just, ha- in order to get there, we've had this huge run-up where a lot of people who bought early or bought low last year, especially all this bank money, this QE money that was kind of stealthily done without us knowing by the Fed to, you know, basically promote their own agenda and uh, that of uh, those in power in the White House right now you know, made the market go up so it looks like you know, everything's hunky dory fine and we gotta keep Bidenomics alive so that the election will go right, blah, 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 blah. Well, there's a lot of people that know better, like gunlack and there's a lot of smart people that say, You know what, it's time to, it's time to sell. So you're going to have a lot of sellers in this market. It's going to probably be choppy from here. If it does go up, I don't think it's going to continue to you know go up anywhere like it did last year. We're just kind of at that double top, kind of waiting out this election. And why there might be some upside in the market, I think the uh, that he's right, that there's a, a bigger chance that we'll have a sell-off before it gets better. And we may have a sell-off, which might encourage the Fed to lower interest rates in order to kind of prop the market up, especially before the election. But then as soon as the election's over, depending on whoever wins, and then they've got a big problem to solve, and that is what? Rampant inflation again. So there's nothing the Fed can do to stop us from having some sort of pain between now and the next couple of years, whether it's a market crash and then inflation, or whether it's continued inflation and somehow not a market crash because you know we'll continue to uh, prop the market up with uh, either liquidity or at least a soft monetary policy to where the market still uh, can be healthy by rich people while the middle class suffer with inflation and can't buy bread and food for their kids and have to get second jobs. Jobs and, you know, whatever. So, you know, the, the market's high, it's a double top, probably not a good entry point if you just look at, you know, the the charting and the stochastics and the, you know, the different uh, methodologies that are used. Again, maybe not so fundamental, but it is kind of a trend type thing. So if you look at the last year, the U.S. did not exhibit any type of superior performance. In fact, I just mentioned that their earnings, uh, the corporate earnings on average were under 1% for the year. That's increases in earnings. That does not support anywhere near what kind of a return we got on stock investing or the uh, increases in stocks other than the hype that AI might have, uh, you know, pushed people into buying stuff, whether they need it or not. Our position as a global leader is waning. If we look at other countries, Europe, China's losing big time. But uh, if you look at uh, Japan, UK, mostly European countries, they're actually recovering a lot better than we are. And their earnings are actually growing when ours is not. So our position as a global leader is waning. That's the uh, point number two by uh, Jeff Cunlack. We also expect slight underperformance for the higher performing Magnificent 7 stock. So uh, you'd probably be better off buying an index that uh, is evenly weighted, maybe even an even weighted version of the S&P 500. And you can get those on an ETF. You can't get the S&P 500 is so overweighted with the Magnificent 7. They actually uh, use cap value weighting so that 7 stocks can actually be the entire upside and downside of the market. If, you know, when 7 stocks are worth what the rest of them are worth uh, collectively, but we've seen somewhat kind of a stagnation kind of a flat there's been a little bit of breakout lately but uh, just in the last you know a few months we really haven't seen the uh full-on blast forward other than maybe microsoft and nvidia but you know those even are looking like they're getting a little bit of top heavy and, and maybe a little over over uh bought. so i think we're gonna see a, a, a downturn soon on those significant downturn the dollar is also likely in the coming recession that'll be a great time to buy some gold because usually when the dollar's weak uh, gold does better right now the dollar seems to be holding its strength and you know gold seems to be a bad investment at the moment but the historical correlation between the dollar strength and the P performance is typically you know negative when the dollar's weak it correlates negatively to the market So the dollar is going to face some challenges just due the policies that implemented because we have to implement certain strategies to mitigate what would be a potentially severe recession. We may still get that. But if they want a soft landing, like I said, I don't even understand what the Fed can do to uh, create that other than just keep preaching that it's gonna happen and somehow hope it does. So there's probably gonna be a lot of volatility. This is another thing that uh, Gunlack says. It's gonna be, uh, there's probably gonna be a dip in interest rates initially, which by the way, after monetary tightening, if you look at history, after a period of monetary tightening, you get a loosening. In other words, we start lowering interest rates. We already went flat. We already said we're gonna put it on pause. The recessions of the past, eight out of eight times in the last 40 or 50 years, especially when like yield curves been inverted and the market's been doing similar things to what it's doing right now. When we see the Fed loosen monetary policy, it's usually after that first interest rate reduction that the recession actually takes place. It doesn't take place and that's why they do it. They typically know crap's gonna happen. They start trying to preempt it a little bit, but they're still always a little too late. Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, I don't know how it's going to uh, end, but uh, I think we're in for a roller coaster ride. This is not going to be the straight up market that we had last year. Yeah, you know, we got a lot of things to to consider. If our listeners are interested in how
1: the markets and what we've been talking about today will affect their retirement journey, once again, we're offering an opportunity for you to sit down with Jeff, talk about your individual situation, that number to call 520-780-9059 to get your personalized Premier Retirement Roadmap. Once again, that number 520 780 Give it a call this weekend. Shelly will be back with you uh, on Monday to set up an appointment for you to get your questions answered. Again, 520 780 You could also request your plan on Online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, time for a break and we come back. We've got listener questions. And boy, do we have some doozies this week. All that and more when our show continues here on 790 KST Tucson's most stimulating talk.
0: You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost premier retirement roadmap, call 580 780 Ninety fifty nine, or request it online at Premret.com. Now back to more Premier Retirement with Jeff Hogan and Jeff Shea.
1: Welcome back to Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and Mesa. Once again, if you've missed any part of the program, you missed our first part in which we talked about the economy, the market, and what's happening with the Dow Jones and the S&P 500. We're a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast. search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. you'll find this show and many of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards a successful retirement. In this section, Jeff, we have listener questions. We've got three very good ones this week they're rather extensive we do appreciate people listening to us and sending us their questions again you got a question for us send it to us by going to premret.com and using the contact page there first question patricia listening to us in tucson she writes i'm 76 and have been widowed since 1994 i'm retired i have savings of $620,000 and ssi income of 2200 a month I also have up to a five-year long-term care policy that would pay about $4,200 a month. My only debt is $900 a month on a $190,000 mortgage balance for an $850,000 home i have no relatives to whom i would leave estate assets and i'm considering various charities as estate beneficiaries i have no close family or friends living in arizona who are familiar with my current circumstances and finances and who might be able to manage my estate i'm hoping to remain in my home possibly in time relying on home health care for as long as possible do you have any suggestions regarding how i could manage my estate Surely there must be others in my same predicament.
2: Uh, Well, there are. Um, It's amazing. I do have a lot of people that either have outlived their children and spouses and don't have kids or they never had kids, chose to, or weren't able to, whatever. And maybe they don't have an extended family that's been close to them. So what do you do? Well, if charitable giving is uh, your best bet, here's what I would do is I would free up as much of that cash and equity in your house as possible. You know, the first thing that jumps out at me is if you're planning on age in place, you love your home, you know, why not get rid of that $190,000 mortgage balance, do a reverse mortgage, get another couple hundred thousand dollars out that you can invest on top of your 620. And maybe uh, now all of a sudden your uh, monthly cash flow that you can spend and have some fun and maybe go out and uh, try to find a few friends with $900 a month. Maybe you can... uh you know, get active in some uh, activities, volunteer groups or whatever that where you get to meet more people and maybe have a reason to find a travel buddy or something and, you know, enjoy some of that money. But you're probably just going to leave a big chunk to someone. If it's charitable issues, that's great. You know, most charities, especially the big ones that everybody knows about, have endowment uh, counselors and they have a situation where if if you have one, let's say you're leaving half your money to the heart fund because of whatever reason or Girl Scouts, whatever it is, or SPCA for, you know... Uh, Something, but whatever it is, you can go to them and you could actually have them be the trustee on your estate. And in many cases, they will uh, handle the distribution of those assets. Here's the hard part is you have to be able to make sure that the charity knows that they're going to get a certain item, but you can put a charity on as a beneficiary on everything, including your home, including annuities, including your brokerage accounts, POD, pay on death, bank accounts, and so forth. So that on death, somebody else has a claim to that. And if you give the uh, contact information on that beneficiary designation form, generally speaking, if somebody will at least let those people know that you passed away, like maybe your favorite charity, uh, they would at least make the announcement that you've passed and uh, find a death certificate, then those uh, accounts could make sure they reach out to the charities and those other beneficiaries to find out how they can make a claim on that portion of their money. So now, there are ways to get around it without really having to have a trust or hire a fiduciary or trust company to uh, you know, pay them big fees to pass out your assets. You can do it a little bit uh, cheaper and easier just by listing each beneficiary on different accounts. Maybe each, each account just goes to a different charity as a beneficiary. And whether you work closely with each beneficiary and let them know... What's going on? In fact, most accounts also have a notification alternate where you know if something happens and and some people put their kids on this, but you could put even the charitable cause on it as your notify in case I don't respond to mail, etc. Mm-hmm. And then they would be able to look into it, find out that you pass, and that that uh, asset is is now uh, theirs if that's how you want to leave it. But again, what I see is you've got a lot of equity in your home that's not doing you any good. My opinion is you've already paid it down. You've already bought that equity. Why not just get rid of that mortgage, pay your taxes and insurance every year, live in it, but have a, a reverse mortgage, have a bank pay you out of most of that equity, actually have the money that you can use rather than get sick, find out you have to go to assisted living, take the time to sell your home and all that kind of stuff. If you just leave the balance to a charity, even if you did a reverse mortgage for let's say $400,000, let's say when you died, the, the home's worth a million two and the reverse mortgage you owe 800. Well, there's still $400,000 that is a equity that would go to whatever that charity is and let the charity worry about making the claim and getting the house back, paying off the a reverse mortgage company and you know selling it for a profit and keeping the balance. So it doesn't have to burden you or anybody you know. It could just burden the uh, beneficiaries that you choose to leave all that stuff to.
1: Jeff, just as there is an executive for the estate of someone who has passed away, is there a similar type of position for a person who's like Patricia, who just wants somebody to handle things in the event that she cannot handle them because of her health conditions?
2: Well, yeah, and it would probably be the whoever you'd put on a power of attorney. I hope there's somebody close enough that you would feel could at least make decisions for you for a health emergency or a financial emergency. I think that person would be a person that you would put on as a representative, whether you do a trust or, or a will. I would prefer you don't go the will route because it's basically probate and the courts will... You know, when you don't have any heirs, you've got charities all fighting for your money and stuff. I mean, they'll just milk that out for as long as they can. And lawyers are the only ones that win in those cases. So if you did some sort of a trust where you had all those beneficiaries, those charities listed, and all your assets go into a trust, you could hire a trust company or a fiduciary that you trust. People are actually licensed to do that and act in your best interest. Not that I found that they always do. Sometimes they do kind of drag their feet a little bit because they're typically charging you by the hour of how much time they put in rather than just a flat fee. If you get somebody that would just say, hey, I'll do it for a flat fee and it's just going to be, uh, you know, 5000 bucks, you know, that might be a- an easy way to just put somebody in charge. They know they're going to make 5000 bucks for maybe $50 to 100 hours worth of work. So they're going to make $50 to $100 an hour just doing something part time that they wouldn't be, you know, making anywhere else. So I mean, you could work it out. I'm sure you have somebody that you don't have close friends, but I'm sure you have somebody that you could trust if you don't. Look to the uh, fiduciary world. You can probably Google it and find out, you know, fiduciaries or uh, uh, legal representatives in your town. I would not hire an attorney, however. They're just overpriced and they, they know how to bill estates when you're dead better than anybody. So be careful on that one.
1: Thank you for listening to us, Patricia. Once again, uh, I would encourage you to give Jeff a call there at Premier Retirement. He's a certified estate planner. You can give him a call at 520 780 I'm sure that between you and Jeff, you'll come up with a good situation to meet your needs. And of course, we'll be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Next question, Jeff, is Abigail listening to us in Green Valley. And Abigail writes, My husband and I signed a prenuptial agreement before we married. This is my second marriage, his first. He has no children. I have one child who was an adult when we married, so there was no need for my current husband to adopt him. My husband and I live in a home that I purchased and maintained as my separate property. I've been careful to pay for all mortgage and maintenance costs myself to make sure that there's no question that this is my separate property. After I die, my trust directs that my husband gets the house, currently worth a net $1.2 million after deducting the outstanding mortgage from its market value, and my child gets the rest of my assets, which are also around $1.2 million. My husband will also get monthly payments from my pension as a survivor and beneficiary, which will more than cover my monthly mortgage payments. So my husband would, in effect, be paying the mortgage from the funds that I provide even after my death. I'd like the house to be given to my son after my husband passes. He is after all my son's stepfather, but he's not a blood relative. Would the house be considered an inheritance? If my son were to sell the house, would it have a step up in basis, just as it would if I had left the house to him directly? Or would my husband, leaving the house to my son, be akin to a stranger bequeathing the house to him? What's
2: your opinion? Well, it depends, if you actually give it to him and make him put it in a trust, and you trust your husband to actually bequeath it. Now keep in mind, if you actually give away the house, there is no guarantee and there is no reversionary right to you as a dead person or your son as a non current owner to get that house. That would have to be done through a trust and you would have to trust your husband not to remarry and have some greedy wife that talks him out of the house or whatever. That kind of a thing. So and, and that that could happen, especially after years of you being gone and him having a new life, if that happens, that people might forget what was originally planned. So there is a thing called life estate where your husband never actually owns the house, but the mortgage is paid for by the residual pension, which is what you've done. Now, once you die, the step up in basis happens at the date of your death. So if your husband would get a life estate and, you know, be able to live there until he passes your son or the trust that you leave the house in for your son's benefit. He would just have to leave the house alone, let your uh, surviving husband take care of it, pay for it, and then your son would would get that house at that particular time. My understanding is the tax law would require that any gain while your husband gets that growth, uh, if there's a gain in the house while your husband lives in there, does end up becoming a taxable event uh, on that portion of the profit to your son but you could also make arrangements in the trust that uh, any taxes or any uh, basis would be paid for out of whatever the residual is left on the uh, husband's estate so that you know, maybe it would offset that. Uh, There may be some sort of an IRS rule that I'm not aware of where, because he did not have access or constructive or any particular claim to the property, that that step up would, uh, you know, carry forward to the husband's death. I'm not sure that that's a rule. I'm I'm, I'm saying that because I'm just not certain. I don't believe it is. But uh, that's one thing I think, uh, just based on this question, I'll probably take up uh, with my uh, advanced uh, tax planning people. Because that is a that is an interesting question on a life estate. Does that step up basic continue to follow through? I know it would upon your death, and that's certainly you know a nice benefit uh, that would pass on your son eventually. And it also depends on how long your husband outlives you. If in fact he does. So again, I think I look at a life estate rather than just giving him the house. I think there's too much uh, at stake to just uh, hand over the house and find out that it could end up not going back to your son when he's done using it, especially if he gets in trouble and just decides to sell it. Because if you actually give him ownership rights, he has the right to sell.
1: Abby, thanks for that question. Of course, we'll be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Once again, encourage you to call Jeff and uh, sit down with him. I'm sure that there is a good solution to your problem. 520-780-9059 is the number to call. Next question, Jeff, is Penny listening to us in the Catalina Foothills. Penny writes, I'm a healthy 68-year-old retired widow whose husband passed away 14 years ago. I only owe $125,000 on my downsized home, which is worth $850,000 with a low interest rate. I get about $3,200 a month in Social Security. My portfolio, including retirement investment accounts and annuities, is worth about $2.6 million, but it's decreased over 20% the last year. My financial advisor says I'm in great shape and I'll have enough to last the rest of my life, but my portfolio is over 50% in equities, which doesn't seem wise. When I raise the issue with my advisor, a fiduciary who gets a percentage to manage my funds, he advises me to stay the course and not pull out of the market. He started withdrawing money from my 401k to ease the overall tax burden, but this year it'll put my income over $200,000, which will result in a higher tax bill. It's not really additional income as it's moving those investments into a Roth IRA. My husband was the financial guru and I'm at a loss. Does this seem like a decent financial course for me or should I seek someone else's
2: advice? Well, I think just the fact that you're worried about it and you don't agree with your advisor means you should look for a separate advisor. You don't have to take, it's your money. Keep it that way. That's what we say. If you're not working with an advisor that has your best interest in mind, he's not a true fiduciary. And uh, if you want something with less risk, he needs to do that based on your goals. His fiduciary doesn't mean he gets to impose his values on you. A fiduciary does the right thing for the client based on what he or she wants done. And all he does is a long-term portfolio, 50-50 stocks, bonds, and says, uh, you know, you're cool. Well, he can probably see that, you know, you have plenty of equity in your house, you have a decent monthly income, you have very little debt, probably at a really low interest. And, you know, based on your expenditures, uh, you probably won't run out of money unless you keep losing 20% a year on your stock purchases, then you will. So with two point six, if you make zero risk and make three to five percent for the rest of your life, yeah, you'll never run out of money. But if you uh, have money in equities that could crash fifty percent, that could be another twenty five percent or so of your investments that lose value. And that's assuming the bond portion that you have and other things, you know, don't lose money as well. So I mean, you know, if you want to you know, hold your neck out and be exposed to a five or six hundred thousand dollar drop again, then if you get scared out of the market, you say, I'm never going back in. Now you've only got two million to work with and you're gonna be spending that down depending on what your lifestyle is, you may not end up you're outliving your money. I mean, if you're, uh, you're going to live another 30 years to 98, let's say you're 68, so you, let's say you live another 30 years, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on that if you're trying to live on $100,000 a year and $3,200 a month in Social Security minus taxes, et cetera. So I could see you getting in a, a, a pickle if uh, you leave it in a volatile world and continue to draw money out. I know you said you pulled the money out of your 401k to try to ease the overall long-term tax burden by doing a Roth conversion, but you know, did your broker also talk to you about the fact that when your income's over 200000 hundred thousand, and you'll find this out very soon if you haven't already, is uh, IRMA. The uh, Medicare premiums right. that you pay are also going to go up and they're going to stay up for at least two years every time you do this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though it's that you could probably get out of it and by claiming, oh, this is just a one-time thing, it's not going to happen again, the IRMA increases sometimes give you a, one, a one-time oops-it or write-off or, hey, this is a special circumstance. But if you're going to do a continuous plan, into Roth or Alert, which I don't oppose, but make sure you understand what the total cost of this is. My opinion is, you know, maybe instead of moving a two hundred thousand dollar income for one year, maybe you moved it to three hundred thousand for three years. Have that high Irma for only three years, but move enough of your assets out of IRAs or 401Ks so that you have that stealth of that tax-free income going forward. That might actually keep you in the twenty-five percent or lower tax bracket going forward forever, rather than you know, trying to stay in a 22% tax bracket now only to see yourself going back to the 28 or 32 or 33 or 39 bracket, you know, when the, the new uh, tax brackets come back into play in 2026. And as you get older, in five years, you have to start taking out RMDs, required minimum distributions from those 401ks and IRAs. So uh, there's a bigger picture to look at here. There's also a ton of different investment opportunities that would be totally principal protected that he's obviously not offering. And I don't understand how people can call themselves fiduciaries, honestly, when all they do is stocks and bonds. That's just one asset class, basically. It's just Wall Street. I'm a fiduciary on Wall Street. I'm going to do the best I can and risk your money. Well, what if you don't want to risk your money? You can't be a fiduciary for that person. They could be a fiduciary for somebody that has a long-term plan, maybe. If that's all they want and that's all their values dictate and they've got tons of extra income and they'll never run out of money and they don't care if they lose it all, then maybe that person could be considered a fiduciary. But there is a license that requires a fiduciary duty called the Series 65, which is RIA, Registered Investment Advisor. There's a lot of people in the brokerage world that do suitability or transactional business that get that license as an extra so they can call themselves a fiduciary because they have a license for it, but then they do all their work in this transactional-based, fee-based, and only risk-based business. That is, in my opinion, you're wearing too many hats and you're trying to straddle the fence between what a fiduciary is and what a fiduciary isn't and you know somehow get away with semantics on where you're really putting your effort and are you a fiduciary or are not? Are you acting as a fiduciary in this transaction but not that transaction and are you disclosing all those things? So... I would say just based on this question and based on how I feel that the tone is that you're not very happy, well, yeah, you need to kick tires. You need to find out somebody that talks your language, somebody that makes you feel happy, somebody that wants to preserve that $2.6 million and not ever let you lose it and make a reasonable rate of return for the rest of your life, knowing that not only will you never run out of money, but you're not even going to get close to drawing it down, regardless of how many corrections. Over the next 30 years, we could have four or five of these big 20 to 50% market corrections. If you're spending money out of that account, that's locking in losses every time. And you know what? Usually when that happens, people get scared. They go to cash far too long. When the market comes back, they don't get back in till you know the market's back up half of what they lost. And so you never really get back in the game, just like it sounds like you have. And if you're still down 20, you lost over 20% last year either because you spent the money or because you had really underperforming assets and you weren't in the market. If you got 50% equities and they didn't go up, guess what? You don't have the Magnificent Seven. You've got stocks that went down. And of course, 85% of stocks are going down or remaining, even not up, You know, even on days like you know, a week ago when the market was up 400%, was up more than 1%, and yet 85% of stocks went down. So you know, if you look at the S&P 500 last year, I believe more than half of the stocks that were in the S&P 500 didn't go up, they went down less than half went up, and only seven stocks contributed to you know 90% of the gains by the time 2023 was over. So you're obviously not taking the right approach based on what you've made comments, and yeah, you should get somebody else's advice, and I'd be happy if you started here.
1: Yeah, that would be a good idea, but the takeaway that I hear from this, Jeff, is that Penny's got over $3 million in assets, and uh, with the annuities and uh, the other investments, I mean, she's 50% in equities. As you said, she could live another 30 years easily with medical advancements and so forth, and With a market correction, she could run out of money, so... I'm with you. I think the answer for Penny is to call 520 780 Sit down with you because there's only so much information in this that we can gather, but she really does need to sit down personally with somebody and sort this out. So Penny, 520 780 Request your appointment with Jeff. You'll be happy to talk to you. And again, we will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. If you got a question you'd like us to answer on the air, get it to us by going to premret.com. Send us your question through the email portal there or through the contact page. And if we, Use it on the air, of course, we will send you out that book. Okay, Jeff, for those people who are listening to the program, they've just joined us. I want to make them aware that we're offering a no-cost, no obligation opportunity to sit down with you, talk about your individual retirement journey. And again, no cost, no obligation for this. It's not going to cost you a dime. 520 780 59 is the number to call. Do it this weekend. Shelly will get back to you on Monday to set you an appointment up with Jeff. You don't have to wait months to get in to see Jeff. Once again, no cost, no obligation. 520 780 9059 or you can request your appointment online at premret.com p-r-e-m-r-e-t.com jeff let's talk about crypto i understand that bitcoin now is available in an etf but jamie diamond called crypto the next pet rock what does he mean by that
2: well, he doesn't think that it has really any, uh, you know, anything to do with anything real is really what that means. Jamie Dimon was talking to uh, Davos. He keeps saying he'll never talk about crypto again. He basically, back in 2017, says, you know, this is just fake. It's just pie in the sky. It's just a joke. And so he says, I just call it a pet rock. It's nothing. And he says, wait. You know what? I think Bitcoin really does have some uses. They just happen to all be illegal, such as money laundering, fraud, tax avoidance, or payment for sex trafficking. It really is used for nefarious activities because it cannot be tracked as to who bought what, where. There's no receipts given. It's just a password and you just move the money around. So, you know, I have a feeling that this is how, you know, our present administration is funding the terrorist groups. Like, I mean, some of that billions of dollars, I mean, could be Bitcoin that they're trading between Iran, Ukraine whatever, whoever else they're supporting, it it seems like we're kind of funding these wars to either create a distraction or to somehow create upheaval enough to where somehow we can not have an election and they can stay in power. I don't know what it is. I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist. I'm just an observer making comments that sound realistic and potentially real. But Jamie Dimon says, you know, it's basically just fake money. And, you know, they're trying to legitimize it now by making these ETFs, exchange traded funds that can hold Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. You know, if you look at crypto, if you're talking about the money laundering scheme, all your Bitcoins is out there trading. You know, they can buy these Bitcoins. Who knows where these Bitcoin or what this little password has been and what it's bought. But all of a sudden they're now sitting in a uh, an ETF that you get to buy that looks just totally innocent. And you're just buying it at a price and you hope uh, the, the Bitcoin values go up. You sell it at a profit and you know you try to just make it work that way. But there is some support to Diamond's claims and the government actually actually has done a little bit of uh, research and says that 15 of the 27 online commercial sex websites it examined reported exceptional digital currencies. So, you yeah, know, that's more than half of the people that just on the website stuff is using digital currency. Well, why? It's because nobody wants to find out who that person is, probably because they're involved in nefarious activities. And it's not just, you know, looking at pretty girls when they have a lonely weekend. It's uh, maybe used for a little bit more nefarious activities, a little bit more deeper uh, criminal type activities. So, you know, not that I can tone... Uh, porn or commercial sex websites in in general, but you know, if you're looking at commercial sex websites, come on man, I mean, that's like a can of worms that can lead to all kinds of stuff, just if you look at, if you just use your logical mind, right, so, again, you know, there's still a a strong following crypto, I think people like the idea that it's private, Uh, people are, you know, being told not to trust the dollar, I don't know what other currency you would trust. It's still the you know currency of choice for most of the civilized world. So you know until things really break down, you know I don't know if crypto is going to end up becoming the winner or if it's going to be gold or maybe just bullets and food. You know so I don't know what you know how how far our economy or our world can melt down. I think uh, you know if you're biblically focused, you know that there's going to become an Armageddon and it's some sort of an end of days uh, scenario that uh, I hope isn't <laughs> too soon, but you never know when it's going to happen. That you know things will get bad. You know we understand things will get bad. You know, you look at the geopolitical events that are happening, and it seems to fall in line with just really stupid people making stupid decisions and stupid policies that are supposed to support themselves. But as they ruin the rest of the economy and the mechanism that supports all of their power, they're going to destroy that. Then what are they going to have? I don't understand how they think they can win on this. It's just a matter of too many greedy people letting uh, greed and their own uh, carnal desires to be rich and powerful, you know, override sensibility and you know normal decisions. So I, I think Bitcoin. Can came out of that as a way to uh, kind of circumvent the system and get away with more crappy stuff. I think Diamond's right on the money. You're listening to Jeff Fogan, a
1: Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. I'm sure that Jeff, a lot of people listening to the program today have uh, had their interest piqued by a lot of our topics. S&P 500, Dow are setting records at this point in time, the possibility of an impending recession here in 2024. They keep talking about that. We've answered some great listener questions. And of course, we've talked about cryptocurrency. Again, we're a podcast. If you've missed any portion of the program, you'd like to hear it all over again. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast, search for Jeff Hogan Premier Retirement, and you will find our show there. And again, 520 780 is our telephone number, 520 780 Highly encourage you to sit down with Jeff. Take advantage of this opportunity to get your questions answered and request your Premier Retirement Roadmap. No cost, no obligation. Once again, 520-780-9059. Make that call this weekend. Well, Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. But most importantly, I want to thank our listeners here in the Tucson and Phoenix area for joining us. For Jeff Vogel, and I, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST Tucson's Most
0: Stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona state-registered investment advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade. Insurance and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage, Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the insurance carrier. The show is intended for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Premier Retirement and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.